VHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief, VHS Daily Advisor. This week as part of VHS Now, I talked to Margaret Morrissey, President of the Heat Safety and Performance Coalition, about the latest developments in the fight to protect workers from heat stress. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Margaret Morrissey, President of Occupational Safety at the Corey Stringer Institute and President of the Heat Safety and Performance Coalition. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here. And even though I've had you on the podcast a couple of times, uh, I was wondering if you could, uh, for folks who haven't uh, heard from you before, uh, talk a little bit about uh, yourself and what you do with uh, the two organizations you work for. Yes, absolutely. So as you had mentioned, I'm the president of the Heat Safety and Performance Coalition and Occupational Safety at the Corey Stringer Institute. Um, I got my PhD at University of Connecticut, and my research is entirely focused on occupational heat stress and preventing uh, heat-related illnesses in this population. And so the organization I work at, the Corey Stringer Institute, was um, named after an NFL player, Corey Stringer, who tragically passed away from exertional heat stroke in 2001. And so in 2011, to carry on his legacy, the Institute was created, and it's focused not only on protecting athletes, but also protecting military and working populations. And so because of the extreme need to have a division focused on just occupational health and safety in the context of heat stress, that's where the heat safety and performance coalition started. So it's essentially a division of the Corey Stringer Institute that I currently oversee. And obviously, uh, you know, we've talked uh, several times over the last couple of years about this topic and, you know, uh, and, you know, just judging by the way you know, the weather is, you know, just in the last couple of days, you know, we've been seeing all these, uh, you know, all the smoke from forest fires kind of really affecting, you know, places like New York City, you yeah. know, to the point where you can't even see like, you know, 10 feet in front of you. But obviously, like, you know, the climate has really heated up. And that has, you know, obviously a negative effect on on workers who are especially uh, in jobs where they're, you know, exposed to that kind of uh, those kind of conditions. So, I was wondering if you could uh, talk a little bit about sort of where things stand with legislative efforts that are going on to pass heat safety protections. We, you know, we know about the federal one um, that was sort of uh, introduced, uh, I guess it was last year, but there's also plenty of state uh, efforts as well. So I was wondering, uh, you know, what your thoughts are on those legislative efforts. Yeah, and I'm sure no one is surprised that ever since um, the Biden administration announced that they were mobilizing to protect communities and workers from heat stress, there's really been a ripple effect in terms of safety organizations, states that are, you know, recognizing this is a huge issue. And so from a state legislation perspective, um, there is about four states, California, Minnesota, Oregon, and Washington, who do have a heat stress standard that is state specific, um, which is great. It um, before you know Biden administration announced that it was California in Minnesota and I believe uh, Washington. So we're starting to add more states who are recognizing that this is an issue. Um, one thing that I always like to to mention when we talk about state legislation that there is that there's a scope of coverage. 
So for example, in California, the rule only applies to outdoor workers. Mm-hmm. And so, and um, opposite from that in Minnesota, it only covers indoor workers. So although these states are mobilizing to protect workers, it may only be in a small context. Um, so it's something to keep in mind. And, and, you know, we still have a lot of work to do, but it's certainly a starting point. Yeah. And, and uh, I imagine there are probably other states that are considering uh, similar things, but it, I guess it is sort of specific to you know, the big industries in the state and, and uh, you know, kind of, you know, where where the, the main problem lies. Um, what about the uh, the federal uh, uh, effort from uh, OSHA? Uh, I know that they have uh, a national emphasis program that started uh, last year, I believe, on heat, uh, heat safety. Uh, what, what have you seen from that? Yeah, so I've seen a couple of different things. As you mentioned, there's the National Emphasis Program, which has gotten a lot of um, employers and companies to, you know, really turn their focus to heat stress um, because of that. I think um, that's great. There's also the um, Federal Heat Stress Standard, the National Advisory Committee, NICOSH Group has been working um, continuously to provide recommendations to OSHA to determine what should be in the standard. And so this group is a, you know, a group of management, a group of labor uh, focused organizations, uh, public health um, experts, and they're really using their own expertise, but also pulling from the thousands of uh, public comments that were submitted once the, um, once the rule was announced that it was occurring. So the, as, as my understanding is, NICOSH has proposed their recommendations to OSHA and it's in OSHA's hands at this point. And so um, we'll see in terms of what recommendations are implemented into the federal heat stress standard. And obviously, the, you know, when it comes to a federal standard, it takes a long time to actually like pass it, right? I mean, it's going to take well, like, when do you expect yeah. it to actually, you know, go into law? Yeah, so that's a difficult question. And I think um, based on if, uh, talking to government um, officials, they are, you know, emphasizing that it's a main focus and they're going to mobilize as quickly as possible. Um, given that, I still think it's going to be the typical timeline of other standards. So it could be up to, you know, eight years. It also entirely depends on what administration is in place. Mm-hmm. Um, so we could be, you know, the administration could change and then things could completely change. Um, so I'm hoping that we continue this this huge effort and we are able to do it uh, much sooner than uh, eight years. But I guess we'll, we'll see as things move forward. Um, do you feel like enough is being done, uh, you know, sort of at a governmental level. I mean, certainly, you know, like, like we mentioned in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of progress. Uh, do you feel like that's, that's working about, you know, what you would expect um, to be happening? Yeah, I think from um, the government perspective, um, it's great that, you know, just in general, that things are, are moving forward. Um, Cause it, it did take a little bit of time to get to that point. Um, in terms of, you know, companies and organizations really pushing forward, I think since 2021, 
different, you know, safety organizations and companies are starting to, you know, realize, okay, I, I need to have something in place to written and um, have specific items included for their heat stress plan. Um, the big issue that I've run into, and um, just on a side note, the, the big part of my position now is I work directly with companies and businesses, and I um, see what's going on in their organization, and I provide recommendations that are actually going to work for their specific environment, because I think a lot of people are starting to recognize okay, these are the certain I certain things I need to implement in my work site, but a lot of times they don't know how to do that or they don't know what's going to work for their individual environment. So mm -hmm. I think the education is starting to push forward and people are recognizing it as a hazard. It's just that the solutions are not as cut and dry as I feel like most people would want uh, them to be. Right. And it's not like it's not like one size fits all. Right. I mean, it's everybody's got Correct. specific issues. And, you know, certainly, like you mentioned with Minnesota, there's plenty of indoor uh, industries that have a lot of heat issues that, you know, are and, and the solution is, you know, a lot different from outdoors where, like, you know, you're saying find shade and, you know, you know, you can't find shade indoors. You, you know, you've got to do something different than that. You've got you're you're basically surrounded by heat so you know the uh the solution is going to be different there absolutely yeah and it's in every single industry that i've encountered has been and in company within the industry honestly has been an entirely different solution i mean the big buckets of uh safety like heat acclimatization or hydration those all um are a focus but it's mm -hmm. how to do that has been entirely different um and so one of my uh, focuses, again, through uh, the organization I work at, is pushing the research forward because we, a lot of the recommendations that we are focused on for heat safety are driven from the military and athletic setting. Mm -hmm. And it's not surprising to anybody that, you know, those, that setting is completely different than a, a workplace setting. Right. And, and uh, you know, I know that uh, obviously, you know, there's been a lot of uh, advancements made in just in terms of work gear, um, you know, to help folks deal with the heat. Obviously, you know, materials and things like that are so much better than they were, you know, 10, 20 years ago. I mean, I know just as uh, as a runner, you know, back when I started running, you know, you would get cotton t-shirts, you know, and they would just kind of like right. get soaked and heavy and, you know, you wouldn't get any kind of relief from them. And now you've got, you know, uh, tech shirts and, th and those have been getting better, like from when they first started coming out. So you must be seeing a lot of advancements uh, just in the, in the world of, uh, of gear. Yes, definitely. And um, there's been huge advances in product development. Um, with different cooling gear and different hydration solutions and it's been really exciting to see because i feel like we're really at the forefront of all of these you know tech innovations and you know wearable uh, technology is being implemented and so uh, we definitely have a lot to learn and make and ensuring that the solutions that are either technology or devices are um, evidence-based and you know but we're we're moving forward, which is really exciting to see. Uh, and, and I I saw you speak 
uh, last year at the uh, NSC um, Safety Congress in San Diego, and you kind of uh, you were on a roundtable and kind of you know listed a lot of strategies that you you know you were mentioning. It, you know, I think there was a, a consensus document that came out in 21 uh, about heat safety in the workplace and just sort of some of the strategies and resources to protect workers. Um, have you seen those really being adopted by a lot of uh, a lot of industry now? Yes, which has been fantastic. Um, we were uh, thankfully kind of ahead of the curve. So that document um, is a consensus document published in GeoHealth. Um, it's, it's heat safety in the workplace. And it was published in September 2021. And uh, the the announcement for the rulemaking um, was in October 2021. Yeah. So we were right ahead of, of all the big mobilization. And um, we've seen a lot of people pulling from that document. Um, as I mentioned to everyone, it's certainly, it's a starting point. It's a foundation that people can use. Um, and I believe it's been really, um, really utilized in across different industries. And and actually, in the uh, NICOSH group for OSHA, two of our co-authors um, are within that group. So they oh. had an opportunity to really share that message and and hopefully utilize that document to uh, provide those recommendations for the federal heat stress standard, which was ultimately what we we're hoping would occur, mm -hmm. um, so, which is really exciting. Um I know that you know you mentioned that uh, employers are starting to be pretty proactive, but are you are you still uh, you know where are, I guess are the biggest areas of concern where maybe you know things aren't being taken as seriously as they should in terms of heat safety? Yeah, I think um, the the biggest issues that I found is in specific um, organizations that um, have it honestly it depends on the safety culture and I don't think this is unique to heat stress mm -hmm. but um, a lot of the times I've been working with different companies and there's either an employer or a safety professional who's focused on this is the way we've done it or not very receptive to the recommendations because at the end of the day they don't want to disrupt the working environment too much of their workers. And so I think that's always been a huge challenge. And, and so it's, it's allowed me to be really creative in the sense of, okay, I understand that, you know, there's certain productivity metrics that have to be made, but there's a lot of solutions that can be implemented that, that don't inter interfere with the workers work environment that drastically. And, and I have to kind of show them that not only are these solutions important from a health and safety perspective, but they're also going to improve the productivity. So uh, it's a win-win all, all across the board. Um, and the also difficult part that I found is that companies with high turnover, um, it's been a really big challenge because I'll have a great conversation with someone and feel like we're moving forward. And then there's a change of personnel. And then I have to kind of start that conversation over. Um, but I, you know, joined this fight because I knew I someone needed to, and mm -hmm. it's just a continuous battle that we're going to continue to do. Um, and obviously, you know, I, I know like uh, I covered uh, when OSHA, when they were, I guess when they were starting to really push uh, 
for the uh, the national standard, uh, there were some legislators that had a press conference, and you know they they brought up a lot of examples and had a few people speak, you know, uh, of folks from the sort of migrant worker world, you know, especially out in yeah. on the West Coast, and you know that that must be, uh, you know. I guess really difficult to kind of get a handle on just because you've got sort of that transient workforce and, and, and the, you know, the folks that are sort of overseeing these operations, uh, you know, really are probably pushing for production over safety. So it's kind of difficult to, to really, uh, I guess, get them to change their ways without that, the sort of teeth of, uh, you know, a federal standard or even the state, the state uh, regulation. So I, I imagine that's a, a pretty big area of concern for you. Yes, it, it really is. And it's um, very difficult because a lot of solutions that people are proposing, like self-pacing is a huge one. So a lot of employers, companies, health and safety professionals are saying, um, you know, we're promoting self-pacing. So when you're tired, you can rest. But at the end of the day, for migrant workers who are likely being paid off a piece pay structure where they're getting paid by the amount that they do, self-pacing doesn't make any sense and it really doesn't protect them. Um, and so it's there's a lot more uh, protective strategies for this vulnerable population. And it's been really clear um, with we, um, Doug Casa and I actually were a part of a Amnesty report that did that focused on the migrant workers who are working on the Qatar World Cup Stadium. And it was absolutely astonishing about how, you know, these workers, what they had to go through and everything like that and the work conditions that they were put through. And obviously these workers, you know, so you can say self-pacing and all that, but like, you know, they want to keep their jobs and they don't want to get deported <laughs> so they're you know they're just yes. going to kind of do whatever they're told to do you know and not and, and they're just going to push through you know despite how lousy they might feel absolutely and and a lot of the times um i i'm working on a qualitative study that i hope to have published soon but um we had some uh, farm working populations who they felt like they had no other choice they said they knew their work conditions were bad and uh, heat stress perspective, but they had to provide for their families. They, they didn't, you know, most times they couldn't communicate with their supervisors because they didn't speak English. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a lot of things that are uh, unfortunately happening in the U.S. And I don't think people realize that um, that need to be addressed. And if they decide that they don't want to work in those conditions, then that employer can find somebody else to take their place pretty quickly, I would imagine. Yes, easily. So they're just, you know, working hard to maintain and, and keep their job so that they can continue to, per, to provide for their family. And it's not like they, you know, it's not like they have a union to protect them either. So it's kind of, you know, they're on their own. Exactly. It, it's, yeah, it's really unfortunate to see. And, and I, thankfully, a lot of research and is being focused in this population because we know there's a lot of, um, you know, racial injustice related to heat stress. And um, there's a lot that, that needs to occur to rectify this, this issue. Definitely. Uh, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about the Heat Safety Performance Coalition and um, sort of how you kind of go into companies and sort of, you know, do heat safety assessments. So I was wondering if, you know, 
So if you could walk me through just sort of, you know, the steps when you, when you, a company wants to have you come in, you know, what are, you know, what do you do and how does that work in terms of uh, assessing how their heat safety uh, processes are? Yeah, absolutely. And um, this is one of my favorite parts of my job because I love being like boots on the ground, seeing what's actually happening. And, and when I go out and speak to, to different organizations, I'm, you know, talking about things that are actually happening in, you know, work environments. Um, so what typically occurs is um, the company will contact us with interest to, to partner or, you know, do an on-site assessment. And so we'll start off by asking for them to provide any written, you know, heat stress prevention strategies, any emergency action plans that we can kind of look at ahead of time and see what's going on. Um, the next step is then we're on-site, it's an on-site observation. So we don't, you know, we, the only interaction we have with with the employees themselves is if we can get some sort of like interview just to, to talk about their experience. Um, but we're really there just watching um, what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, what's, you know, being implemented. We go during high uh, periods of heat stress so we can actually see um you know if the solutions within their written plan if they have a written plan is actually being done because a lot of times um there are situations where they can have a, a lot of stuff written down but it's not actually being done right um it's in a binder so that observation exactly exactly <laughs> and and that um observation can last anywhere from one day to five days depending on the size of the organization organization and then we provide a, a report so we say these this is what we saw this is what we think you know you should implement and then we our next step would then hopefully you know depending on the company is is we actually want to measure what the physiological strain is of these workers so um we want to know we, we can guess from our observation just based on the work they're doing, but mm -hmm. um, we want to be able to measure that. And so that would be kind of a phase two. Um, sometimes that's not what companies want. They don't want you to directly interact with their employees um, in that context, which is fine. Um, I think companies are really starting to do that because they, I don't think anyone knows what kind of physiological strain workers are experiencing. Um, and then we kind of work together to make sure that they're implementing our recommendations and slowly and progressively moving them towards best practices. Because um, most times it's it's when we're providing these recommendations, it's kind of like a series of phases um, <laughs> of, okay, start here and then we'll get you to X, Y, Z. So that's kind of the, the gist of what we do um, when, at least for our initial uh, on-site assessment. And I imagine, you know, when you're sort of evaluating how, you know, uh, workers are affected by the heat, there's also a lot that, you know, I guess depends on the person's health history, right? I mean, if they've got underlying conditions, if they've, if they're, you know, if they've got cardiac issues or if they're overweight or whatever. So, I mean, I guess there's, you know, companies need to do a lot more in terms of knowing, you know, the health uh, status of their workers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, sometimes even if they can't, you know, if they can't specifically know the health status, they can at least kind of take on the conservative approach 
mm-hmm. of, okay, you know, I may not know what this particular person has, but in general, this is the population of workers that, you know, are on my work site. And then kind of having these recommendations focused on, on protecting them. Right. Cause I guess if you've got, you know, if you're, you know, have a farming operation or if you've got, you know, workers that are sort of day workers, um, you're, you're not going to have any kind of health history necessarily, but there are definitely are things you can right. do to take care of them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, there's also a big focus that um, I've had as well with not only are we preventing heat related issues from happening in the first place, but we also recognize that not every single, you know, safety plan is, is fail proof. So everyone needs to be prepared about what happens if someone does suffer from a heat related illness and like a heat stroke, which is a medical emergency, do do people know what to do? Um, And so a lot of that is also educating not only the supervisors, but the employees themselves about what are the signs and symptoms and, and what do you do if someone is, you know, showing these specific signs um, to make sure that they survive really. And you mentioned, you know, having an emergency action plan, what should uh, a typical emergency action plan contain? Yeah. So um, just in general, so emergency action plans, um, they apply to all different um, emergencies, but just in the context of this, I'll talk about heat. Mm-hmm. Um, so really um, for exertional heat stroke, which is a medical emergency, um, the person needs to be aggressively cooled within 30 minutes of collapse um, to ensure that they survive. And so what we recommend is in your plan is to have access to water and ice. If you're able to have a cold tub where you can kind of dunk them in, um, cause whole body cold water immersion is the gold standard for treatment. Um, but sometimes that's not always feasible. So, um, water and ice covering as much body surface area as possible and continuously um, making sure that the cold water and ice is being um, replaced if it gets hot. So for example, like a lot of times people only have access to, to towels. So if you, you know, are utilizing towels for someone who may be suffering from an exertional heat stroke, um, those towels need to be dunked in ice and water and replaced you know, every minute or every two minutes to make sure that that person is constantly getting that cold um, water and ice to facilitate cooling. Mm. Um, so that in the very bare minimum would be um, what to to ensure that they have. And, and the most important thing is really it needs to be, everybody needs to know this protocol. It can't be like you mentioned, like in a binder somewhere and people right. don't know what to do. It needs to be rehearsed. It needs to be discussed beyond management. Um, so yeah, um, definitely there's a bit of a learning curve on that perspective, but, um, people are starting to recognize that this, this could happen and it has happened in many different, um, industry, uh, settings. And the other thing that I think, uh, doesn't get enough attention is, uh, heat acclimatization, uh, because uh, everybody knows about hydration and, you know, and I think, I think they think if they have a lot of water and, you know, if they're providing water, then, then that they should be good. But, you know, if you're, if you're not, 
used to the heat and you're just kind of thrown out into a 95 degree day all of a sudden, it's going to hit you a lot harder than if you kind of gradually build up, correct? Correct. Yeah. And I would say out of all the prevention strategies, um, heat acclimatization is the least implemented, but arguably the most important um, because like you mentioned, you know, people who are not used to working one or really performing any of that physical activity or physical performance they're going to be required to do for their job, but then add heat on top of it. Um, they're going to struggle if they're, you know, introduced with to a full day of work. Um, and most times the new workers, they don't want to show that they're struggling. Um, right. So they'll push through to, to, to keep uh, going forward. So, and, and one of the big things that I've also encountered is there's not a lot of understanding with, with the difference between heat acclimatization and self-pacing. Hmm. Um, so, in general, you know, heat acclimatization is a, pro a specific protocol you uh, implement that gradually and progressively introduces workers to their work environment in the heat, whereas self-pacing is based on, you know, the, the employee's decision to how much or little they want to work. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times I'll talk to someone and they'll say, oh, we have heat acclimatization. And then I'll look at it and they'll say, you know, self-pacing. And I'm like, wait, that's, that's totally different. Yeah. Um, kind of have to form that education. Um, and one of the other unfortunate things is there's not a ton of research on what specific heat acclimatization protocols work across different industries. So mm -hmm. um, we have some foundational recommendations but we we still have a lot to learn as well about what's what's the best way to do it yeah i mean what what what's your sort of general recommendation now in terms of like how long it would take to get acclimatized to uh to the heat yeah so now um i would recommend that people follow niosh's uh recommendations and so their recommendations is to increase workload by 10 to 20 percent over five to seven days mm -hmm. and this is important because you know the most heat related illnesses and injuries happen within the first three days of work uh -huh. um heat acclimatization can last anywhere from five to 14 days so it just really depends on like the actual metric that you're looking at. Like your core temperature will respond differently than your heart rate will. And, you know, your perception to how you feel in the heat will also take a different time to um, to adapt. So it all kind of depends on what measure you're looking at. But um, yeah, there's uh, that's the typical uh, 10 to 20 percent increase. Well, Maggie, there's there's a lot to keep uh, keep track of, and um, I'm glad you've you're out there uh, fighting the good fight. Yeah, absolutely, and I will continue to do so. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, the website is uh, heatsafetycoalition.com if you want to get more information about the Heat Safety and Performance Coalition. Uh, and uh, once again, thanks so much, Maggie. Of course, thanks for having me. All right. That wraps up episode 162 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.